Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. This time on this episode, we're talking to Myra Finkelstein. She is a wildlife toxicologist in California, and she's studying the effects of lead-based ammunition on condors in the state. And what this does is this applies to all hunting uh, throughout North America because lead-based paint is still used quite frequently by many hunters. I didn't know this. This actually came to me from another podcast that I usually listen to. She was on there, and I found this topic very interesting because it's something I never thought about before, and it's something I really want to understand more and more. And I did find that after speaking to her, I really wanted to study this and get a better understanding of uh, why any of this ammunition is still in use. Um, from some of the stuff that I already read, it has a lot to do with cost. But after listening to Myra, uh, it seems to me like the cost is higher, at least for people and our health, to use lead-based ammunition than it is to get rid of it. Um, but listen to Myra. Listen to what she has to say and see what you take away from that. And I'd like to hear your opinions if you could share those with me, either on my Facebook page, Twitter, whichever. Um, but it is, it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, and it's something that I want to learn more. In fact, I'm kind of thinking about in a future episode getting um, one of the guns rights people on here anyway. It was on my list of episodes that I wanted to have a conversation about, about where our gun laws are. Uh, where they should be, um, and all of those types of things. And I want to, I want to have more conversations about that. But this is an interesting part of that whole conversation when it comes to the possible um, toxic effects of some of the ammunition that we use. Anyway, Myra Finkelstein, give her a listen. She's really interesting. Uh, right now, on Wander with Andrew Wilcox. <laughs> Welcome to Wander with Andrew Wilcox. So lead has been shown to disrupt multiple physiological systems in vertebrates. So what that means is it can impair your nervous system, your immune system, your reproductive system, your system that makes blood. And, and basically, it's sort of an equal opportunity <laughs> contaminant in that way where it will impact humans and birds and it can disrupt all these systems. Some things that we worry about specifically for, for human exposure is that for children, there is now no acceptable level of lead exposure that it's, that's known to be without long-term neurological impact. So for humans, we know for, with even very low levels of exposure, we can see sort of neurological impairment um, that's long-lasting. Which in the easiest terms is the old joke about eating lead paint makes you dumb right. is accurate. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> in a way, yes. In a way, yes. It will disrupt, yes. Yes, yeah. it, and it can cause problems, and, and these problems are, are irreversible. And, you know, there are studies that lower sperm quality, can cause immune function problems, so it, it messes a lot with the multiple physiological systems. And we used to use lead in paint, in fuel, in, um, in ammo, in fishing lures and stuff like that. Uh, it's been taken out of many of those things, but it's still persistent in many others. Um, what is the, why does it continue, can continue to persist if we know the effect that it has on people and animals? 
I don't, I'm not sure I know the answer to that question so much. I think that we can think of it more as a process. So lead has been something that we have used a lot in terms of, you know, over society over the last hundred plus years. As you said, it was used in lead-based paint. It was used in lead-based gasoline, lead gasoline. It's been used for like leaded in, you know, for, for pipes and things like that. Um, and then as we've understood the harmful effects of lead in these different products, they've just sort of been outlawed, you know, so we don't use lead-based paint anymore. We don't have leaded gasoline for automobiles, but we still use lead-based ammunition for hunting. And um, we think that, so lead-based ammunition for hunting is likely the largest unreg unregulated discharge of lead into the environment. And how, and do you, how do you track that lead? How do you know where that lead is coming from and how is it going through? the system? So for lead-based ammunition for hunting, um, we, and we know, so if you, so for example, if you shoot a deer and then uh, with a lead-based ammunition, like with a bullet, then that bullet can fragment into many, many, many small little pieces within that deer. And so if you go to eat that deer, you'll try to clean the wound channel and clean it up. But there has been studies that have shown that if hunters that shoot animals with lead-based ammunition, um, they, and eat those animals, they have a elevated blood lead. So there's evidence that they're getting a little bit of lead exposure because maybe they're not able to completely, you know, get rid of all this lead that fragments within the carcass. And then animals as well will feed on this carcass and then inadvertently pick up these little bits of lead. So and we kind of know that from just watching how this process works. People will radiograph animals that have been shot with lead and you can see these fragments with throughout the carcass and and so we know that can happen it seems to me though the argument on the other side um is that it's not that much and that you can fix that through how you uh how you take care of the animal and how you um sorry not take care of, how you butcher the animal how you prepare the animal and how you uh take care of what's of the leftovers um but you're saying that that that, that there's still it's still getting through it's very tough kind of a process to do yeah so you can look up and maybe this you can look up some um studies and i can show you what and have that have pictures of these radiographs of these animals that have been shot with lead-based ammunition mm -hmm. and you can see all of these tiny tiny little fragments and so i work with california condors and even a very very small fragment like as big as just a couple of grains of sand or the little tip of your fingernail, it's almost pure lead. So if you eat that, you will get, you know, you can get an elevated lead exposure. So it doesn't take very much. I think that's a thing that people don't really understand. Just a tiny, you know, teeny tiny little piece of this, if you ingest it, can leach out into your bloodstream and you can then have an elevated blood lead from that. And you would not want that certainly for your child. And so I, can, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And, and that's one thing that I find funny about what seems to be the pushback by uh, gun rights owners is one of the things that I, and I, I, I like hunting. I respect hunting. I grew up in a hunting family. Um, one of the great things about hunting is that you can get the most organic meat. Um, and, and hopefully the animal had a very natural life, but you get the most organic meat. But then when you are 
presented with this research and you're told, you know, you're basically poisoning this incredibly organic meat by doing this, it seems to be like, ah, no, that's not a big deal. But it is. Correct? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would you do that when you can use an alternative that doesn't have the same, A, fragmentation, because it's not as soft, so it doesn't fragment so as much as the lead, and B, isn't as toxic as lead if you do inadvertently ingest a small little bit. So it doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't choose that for your health and for your family's health, but then also for any other scavenger. And it's true that if you prep the, 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 um, you know, the carcass well and you really do a good job cleaning out the wound channel, you can uh, reduce the amount of exposure. But again, I think it would be, you'd be hard pressed to eliminate your potential exposure and and then what if you aren't able to, you know, recover the carcass or haul everything out, then you leave some of these highly contaminated food items in the wild for other scavenging species to eat. And we know they eat them and we know they die of lead. So it, it's a proven pathway of exposure. And it seems to me like a funny sort of like, oh, don't, it, it seems to me like one of those situations where people go, well, I don't have to worry about that because I know how to clean my animal. I know how to recover my animal. I know how to do these things. It's the same as, uh, but but why would you want to take that risk when the solution is so simple? Yeah, and I would argue that they should look at some of these radiographs of these animals that have been shot with lead and, and say, are you really sure you <laughs> yeah. can clean them out? Or maybe, you know, and maybe radiograph some of the meat that they then think that they've cleaned out to see if there's anything in it. Because I know that there's certain food banks that have refused now to accept meat that's been hunt, you know, hunted Wild with, um, yeah. oh, sorry, with lead-based ammunition because they're worried about passing that contaminant risk on. I, I just, I think that it's not worth the risk, really. Yeah. I would, and yeah, I've seen those radiograph photos, yeah. so... Definitely. And that's something that I'm going to include when I pass this episode out to people is like is is, is links to those radiographs, because I think that is something very important for people to see. Because uh, The reason I wanted to speak with you so much is it, it seems to be a renewed debate in our country up here in Canada about a complete ban on lead based ammunition. And I'm seeing the stories and I'm seeing the pushback from gun rights advocates who are saying that it's it is a cheap and easy way and that you can easily fix the problem by um, proper cleaning and proper butchering. And it's really not that much. But we know that any is too much. Right. Yeah. And I I think it's also pure, almost pure lead. Mm -hmm. So, again, even a very small amount um, just picture, I just want to say like a f- couple of grains of sand that will have enough lead in it to potentially poison your kid. Why would you do that? Yeah. Why you would, know? why would you I do don't, that? I don't understand why you would take that risk when there's non-lead alternatives out there. I, I think that this isn't uh, a debate about, about whether or not you should, um, hunt. There's a lot, you know, there's lot non-lead alternatives mm-hmm. that are available. They are becoming more readily available. My understanding is that the price points are coming down and that we we still drive cars even though we don't put leaded gas in our car because we've realized that was a human yeah. health um, problem. Risks everybody. 
I think it, it does seem to be a component of gun rights advocates, and this is kind of steering a little bit away from what we are talking about, but there seems to be a, a component of gun right activists to me that see any change in their how they can shoot and use guns as a restriction on their freedoms. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, because again, you're not supposed to, you can't buy lead-based paint anymore. Does that mm. is that a restriction on your ability to paint, paint your, your house? house? No. No, I, I, and I understand that. I do understand that it it's hard to change your ways, yep. you know, and I understand that you're used to doing something a certain way and you might have to recite your gun or something like that. I can understand that there is a barrier there, but I feel like the benefit so outweighs the barrier that why would you, why would you pick this, you know, path? If there's a, again, if there's, there's alternatives out there, there's a great, um, amount of, of education and outreach that's done by hunting groups to, to, to sh- talk about the non-lead alternatives and their efficacy and their availability. I just, I don't, I, I just don't see how it can be interpreted as a, as a way to try to restrict yeah. because not, that's not what it is. Uh, I'm, I am in absolute agreement with you, but I just, I'm looking through these gun sites and stories and such and this seems to be a bit of the, it seems to be the underlying feeling of it all. Is it, it's another example of the government trying to, to trying to put the, put the guy down, you know, like to, to hold us back. And I, I don't think that's the reason for the argument. I don't, I, I think it's, it, it to me makes no sense because if the whole point to me for hunting is to get meat that is, is organic for your family to provide for your family. But if that meat that you're providing for your family has a potential at all of poisoning your children, you're completely going against what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, traditionally hunters have been, you know, the biggest conservationists mm-hmm. that we've had in our society. And I, I believe that the majority of people out there hunting would not want to have this sort of cascading effect of poisoning any scavenging species that might come upon, you know, either, you know, a gut pile or something like that. But I, so I, I think that somehow the information has gotten into this kind of, I don't know how it became a polarizing debate, yeah. except for it seems that some special interest groups decided to make it one. Because it really shouldn't be. This is yep. for everybody's health. You know, this is for everybody's health, including yeah. environmental health. When I was started reading about it, it looked to me just like a no-brainer. Like, it, I mean, most of the time you can see both sides, but then this one to me just looked like a no-brainer. Uh, so your research has been with condors. Uh, how did you get into, into researching condors in this way in the toxicology? So I, I collaborate with people here at UC Santa Cruz that were, had started working on under, trying to understand the sources and effects of lead in California condors. They're a critically endangered species. And I started working with that project about 10 years ago. And um, I came to that because I had been doing work before that for my PhD research trying to understand sources and effects of lead in Laysan albatross. So came to that, condors, big flying birds, pretty much the yeah. same kind yeah. of life history, but very different sources of lead. And so from that, we started to try to get an understanding of, well, how big of a problem is this? And came to understand it's a huge problem. And California condors are exposed to epidemic levels of lead, of lead poisoning. And it's, um, 
preventing their recovery in the wild, lead related mortality. And then we used this way you can look at these lead signatures in ammunition and in condor tissue. And we determined that lead-based ammunition is the principal principal source of lead to condors. That's how we came with that. What did you find? What did you find was the was the principal source of uh, with the albatross? So they were actually the albatross that I worked with were nesting in um, on Midway Atoll, and Midway is an old military base, and they're nesting right next to these buildings that were, had mm-hmm. been painted by the military in the 50s, 60s, 70s with lead-based paint. So those Lace and Albatross chicks were being were basically ingesting little pieces of lead-based paint on their island that they were breeding, that they were born. Yeah. And with the condors, where um, these animals that they're scavenging, um, because we think, well, a hunter should just remove the animal that, it t- that they hunt. Um, where are they finding these, uh, these carcasses? And why are these carcasses available to them? So we there are, we don't know every carcass that they find. We we don't we have thought about putting little um, like GoPro cameras yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah. We haven't done that, but they are tracked uh, pretty much every day. So they feed on pig carcasses. They feed on you know uh, gut piles. They feed on coyotes that have been shot or ground squirrels. They're not super picky. They're pretty efficient scavengers. So they'll feed on lots of different species. Um, we're, we think that they're exposed through multiple ways of just any kind of a carcass that had been left out there that, or a gut pile that still has lead in it, they can mm-hmm. get exposed. When you say ground squirrel and pardon my ignorance on this, uh, is that similar to a gopher? Or is it the same thing? It's not exactly the same thing, but it's similar ish. Yes. Yeah. Cause I used to hunt gophers as a, as a yeah. kid. So that's another, another form of those lead based bullets. Like when, so when people think it's not, it's not just straight up hunting, but that's another thing that can happen is, is gopher hunting and ground squirrel hunting in order to mitigate the ground squirrel population, uh, can also cause this type of poisoning and that, and those little, and those carcasses often get left out, um, on the farm or, you know, back in the day, they used to get their tails cut off and then the bodies were left almost anywhere. And even if yeah, you throw... If you can think of any kind of like a little food package, if it was shot with lead-based ammunition, can move its way up into a scavenger. So, you know, for example, golden eagles are also lead poisoned regularly. And we think things like ground squirrels could be a primary mechanism of exposure for them. So it's not just a hunter that has a deer tag that's yeah. going out there or maybe somebody's depredating like you know coyote or something like that again there's there's been um observations of uh, a california condor feeding on a roadkill cat yeah so they're not very picky about well, what they'll eat do you see any of this come into the wildlife or uh life within cities such as um like we have a large uh, crow population up here in Fort McMurray. Uh, do you see that coming into the, do you, do you see research on it coming into like seagull populations and those types of birds as well? I haven't, you know, I haven't, I'm not aware of seagulls, but again, I think it's possible. It could be just that it hasn't been documented. So for animals that have been documented to have high lead poisoning are ones that can come into uh, rehabilitation centers or, you know, wildlife care centers. So red-tailed hawks, golden eagles, bald eagles. There's different kinds of 
any kind of scavenging animal you would think of. I think that this is a very fixable issue that we yeah. have. That on a, on a global scale, lead-based ammunition is a really big problem and it kills numerous different scavenging species. So being able to switch to a non-lead alternative is just such a good thing to do and can help protect your family and your environment. I mean, we, we talk a lot about this and how it can affect us as people, but I mean, we are, you know, in, 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 in facto in charge of, de facto in charge of, of wildlife and, and managing it properly. And I think if we're causing this type of stuff to go and happen, even just in the animals, that we should be in charge of taking care of them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. I'm a wildlife toxicologist, so there's lots of problems that are out there in terms of, you know, different contaminants that wild, wild species face and numerous different contaminants. But this one issue I feel like is very fixable and there are really good alternatives that are readily available out there. So in my mind, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense as to why not switch over. And, and I can understand that for some people, they might be able to find a, uh, it might be a little bit more expensive, but my, I've also been told that the price difference between non-lead and lead ammunition is becoming less, you know, so it's not that much more expensive. Uh, do you know anything about, have you been involved in any sort of uh, lobbying towards the government or uh, bigger businesses that carry lead-based uh, ammunition in order to stop them from carrying it? Uh, no, and I, because I'm, I'm, with my work, I don't lobby directly yeah. or anything. I just, I provide information to mm -hmm. help inform policy, you know, policymakers or uh, legislators uh, with what we, what we have found in our research. And so along that road, route, I testified before the California Senate when California was thinking about um, passing non-lead legislation in California to ban the use of lead for hunting. And how, but I have, but I don't directly lobby or anything like that. And how, how did that turn out? What are the laws currently in California when it comes to lead-based ammunition? So in July of this year, um, AB 711, which is to ban lead-based ammunition for hunting in California, will be fully implemented. So California will be the first state in the country to um, have this restriction. Wow. Well, that's great. Yeah, we're Success. hoping that it, it helps the scavenging species in our state, that's for sure. But we know also that animals uh, don't live by state lines either. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, that I think, but I mean, California has, it seems, been a, a place that a lot of uh, great uh, starts happen when it comes to changes in laws, you know. Uh, so hopefully that means that we'll see more uh, states make a change. And I'm hoping here in Canada, we, we make the same change from the sounds of it. It's something that we really need to get done and, and really doesn't affect a whole lot of people in a, in a, in a, in a massive, massive way. Uh, but it, the change will be a, a huge positive. Um, is there any other t toxicology contaminants that you study regularly that people should be aware of and that people should be interested in learning more of? Well, I, I study other kinds of contaminants that, um, unlike lead, we call them they're fat-loving, and mm -hmm. so they will biomagnify up food webs. So if you eat uh, animals that are like high on the food chain, typically like a large you know, marine fish, such as a swordfish or 
something like that, you can get high concentrations of methylmercury or these other kinds of organic contaminants such as polychlorinated biphenyls or um, DDE, which is the main breakdown product of this pesticide DDT. So these types of contaminants are a little bit of a different character than lead and because lead won't doesn't biomagnify up the food web, but these contaminants do. Mm-hmm. So I, I do a little bit of work trying to understand um, the, these levels and these kind of high trophic level species, the marine species particularly. And DDT was one that was uh, a bigger deal many years ago that a lot of places have banned. I know we have a ban on DDT. I know that there was a, uh, a gopher poison that used to get used quite a bit that is no longer in use um, because of its, of its effects on the food chain. Um, is there anything that uh, is currently getting, that we're currently in a fight to remove from our, our food chain? Well, there's, and then there's also the, the plastics and the yeah. microplastic, which is, doesn't necessarily, we're still trying to understand it. We know that these microplastics do move through the food web. They don't kind of, you know, just in terms of these microplastics so that if you eat animals, they, they've eaten them, you they've can get them. exposed to them as well. So there is sort of an trying to get a new understanding of what are these little microplastic compounds or microfiber plastic compounds doing to you and, and how much of a problem could that be? Well, and that, but I think for, yeah, for people that are eating, let's say if you eat tuna on a regular basis, you need to be very careful about how much you're eating in terms of your exposure to these types of contaminants, such as methylmercury. Mercury and plastics. Plastic seems like that would be a very big beast to tame. Yeah, that's it doesn't seem like it has a solution to it like the lead in, uh, ammunition does. That's super easy to to implement in, in, in our average society. Um, yeah, or like DD, you know, DDE, as you said, which is the breakdown product of DDT. That's been outlawed in, in a lot of countries, but it's still you can find incredibly high levels in our top marine predators. Wow. So that's still out there. And what do we we, how do we deal with that? So for me, I think the switching to uh, non-lead alternative ammunition is such an easy thing to do. Yeah. As said, compared to some of these other problems that we kind of have at a, a kind of a global scale. Yeah, the the microplastic one that is one that uh, I can't. I became aware with of more a couple of years ago when the plastic island in the middle of the Pacific and <laughs> and just the amount of that, but. It's really hard to see how, without very drastic changes to a lot of people's lifestyles, how we can uh, stop that, uh, let alone limit it even even a bit. Um, although using uh, using reusable containers is probably, you know, stop number one for most people. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's a, it is it's a challenge and i think it's a challenge certainly um our generation and the next generation are going to have to figure out how to deal with when i teach uh, my class as i usually tell the students out there i'm like you guys yeah the, need to help work on this but i, would, I as a as a as a teacher as an instructor i would i would think you would find that the students would be pretty receptive to that yeah they some of them seem like ready for the challenge yeah i think um, so 
Once again, Myra, thank you very much for your time. I, I do have a last part of this that I like to do when I finish up a conversation, which is called read, watch, and listen. It's something you would recommend people read, something that you recommend people would watch, and something that you recommend people would listen to. So let's start with read. So I would recommend an opinion piece in the New York Times called Get the Lead Out of Bullets. It was published November 1st, 2018 by Jim Minnick, if I'm pronouncing his name right, M-I-N-I-C-K. He's a longtime hunter, and I just think he wrote a really wonderful opinion piece about this very issue that we're talking about. Nice. And watch. I've been watching Rachel Maddow lately, and I don't know. I, I have to say, I, she sort of helps me to um, filter all of the chaos that's coming through, at least in our political climate. Oh, absolutely. What do you have for listen? So the thing that popped into my head is I think everyone should listen to, if you type in Laysan or Blackfooted Albatross um, dance or mating dance, you can hear nice. their kind of call, and it's super cool. And so... It might be a little watched thing, too, because you could watch it on YouTube, but certainly to hear that. And when I spent time on Midway and waking up to hearing the Laysan Albatross, basically singing and, and, and calling to each other in their um, kind of mating dances, it's, it's truly just, I don't know, inspiring and fun. And I, everyone should hear that. Thank you, Myra. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today and giving me and hopefully everybody else a better understanding of uh, the issue that is lead-based ammunition and, and the effect that it's having on, on wildlife and in, indirectly and directly on people. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Andrew. I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. nice talking to you.